0: hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of the trump scorecard i'm your host jesse bernie And every week, I'll be bringing you a list of the worst and weirdest stuff the Donald Trump presidency has to offer. Why am I doing it? Why am I keeping track of all this stuff? Because I think it's important for all of us who know what Donald Trump really is to resist him in any way we can. We have to hold him accountable for what he does. And we need to remind ourselves constantly that this is not normal. It isn't. There's a lot of bad news, and it's a fairly dark subject. So I'm going to do my best where I can to have some fun with it. Because we need to keep a sense of humor if we're going to make it through the next four or, God forbid, eight years. I'm going to try to keep the episodes relatively short, about 30 minutes uh, commute to or from from work. I uh, might go a little over this time because it has been a very busy week for the Donald. Uh, let me start uh, with a little bit about myself. I've been working in politics in D.C. for a little over 15 years. I worked at the Democratic National Committee, Hillary Clinton's first presidential campaign, labor unions, all sorts of campaigns and nonprofits. I also write freelance opinion columns on the side, mostly for Rolling Stone, but also places like Cosmo uh, and The Guardian. I kept a similar list to this uh, for the first few years of the George W. Bush presidency, only back then we didn't have podcasts, so I did it on something that we called a website. If you're a millennial, you can ask your parents what that is. But I think the stakes are even higher this time. Trump can and will do absolutely anything. He is incredibly thin-skinned. He is ignorant and proud of it. His campaign was fueled almost entirely by racism and xenophobia. He is a misogynist all the way down to his bones. So every week I'm going to go over a whole slew of horrible things that he's done. It won't be a comprehensive list that's, I think, impossible but I will cover as much as I can. And every week I'll go deeper into one issue, interviewing an expert. Today I'll be speaking with NARAL Pro-Choice America's Donna Crane about the global gag rule. So, thank you for joining, and let's get started. There is a lot to cover. So what I want to do every week is start off with an item uh, where you can take some real action on. Um, And this week I want to talk to you about protecting Medicaid, because President Trump and the Republicans in Congress really have their sights uh, set on Medicaid. Uh, I'll read to you from the New York Times. This is January 2nd. And uh, I have links to all the stories that I read from and, and reference on the website. Uh, that website is the thetrumpscorecard.org. Thetrumpscorecard.org. So from the New York Times, January 22nd. President Trump's plan to replace the Affordable Care Act will propose giving each state a fixed amount of federal money In the form of a block grant to provide health care to low-income people on Medicaid, a top advisor to Mr. Trump said in an interview broadcast Sunday. That's Kellyanne Conway they're talking about. So let's be really clear about what this means. Sometimes you'll hear them say they're going to convert Medicaid into block grants or shift it to block grants or use block grants. What they're actually talking about here is not changing Medicaid, but destroying it. Medicaid is a program of guaranteed insurance for people who are eligible. Uh, If new people become eligible, if costs go up, the federal government helps states cover the people who are eligible. So what they want to do is they want to replace that guaranteed insurance with just a chunk of money sent to the states. And states can do sort of whatever they want with that money. So they can say, well, you know, we think that money, you know, our biggest healthcare problem is that we think people need to, to go to re- reparative therapy or, you know, we need to increase abstinence only education. Those are our healthcare priorities. And all of a sudden you've got like a ton of LGBT suicides and teen pregnancies. Um, and you know, and some states will want to use it to cover uh, you know, cover poor people with insurance. But do you think that the block grants will keep up with the rising medical costs? Right now, it covers insurance. Well, as time goes on, they're going to keep giving the same amount of money or less or very little more. It's not going to keep up with the cost of, of insurance. So we're going to be going from guaranteed insurance to here's a chunk of money. Good luck. And so, you know, that's going to eat heavily, heavily into state budgets. So right now, Medicaid is about 25% of state budgets and the federal government covers about half that cost. So, you know, this is really what we're talking about here is taking insurance away from poor people. It is, frankly, an evil thing to do. So let's talk about what you can do. Um, you know, so far, there has been a surprising amount of reluctance uh, from Congress to mess with health care too much. Um, they kind of went in planning to just rip up the ACA and suddenly they find people don't like it so much. So I think this is an issue that they're a little vulnerable on. Um, Medicaid is the most endangered of all these programs, but I think it's important to get on the phone right now, call your senators, call your representative, just Google how to call them if you need to, um, and tell them to protect Medicaid no matter what. Tell them you do not want Medicaid cuts, you do not want change to block grants, you want Medicaid to stay as it is. And look, these calls matter. They they make a difference. Uh, the pressure that you put on them matters. And The action that you take now could preserve insurance for poor people. So I cannot recommend strongly enough that you do that. All right, on to the next item. Let's stick with health care and talk about Trump's executive order to curtail the Affordable Care Act. And this is from the New York Times Upshot on January 21st. And I quote, The order spells out the various ways that a Trump administration might fight the parts of the health law until new legislation comes by writing new regulations and exercising discretion where allowed. Regulations can be changed, but as the order notes, only through a legal process of notice and comment that can take months or years. This was one of his first executive orders, and what it does is it tells federal agencies to throw whatever obstacles they can in the way of the Affordable Care Act providing, you know, affordable care. To do whatever they can do, whether it's granting state waivers, rolling back regulations, anything they can do to make Obamacare less effective, President Trump has essentially said, do that. Uh, And here's an example of something we'll see soon. Obamacare says that preventative care should be available to you with no copay. And the Department of Health and Human Services determined what goes under preventative care. And Obama's HHS said birth control is preventative care because, of course, it is. It prevents you from getting pregnant. So what they can do is change that rule so that birth control is is no longer available without a copay. Uh, so you'll have to start paying a lot more for the pill. Um, IUDs will go from costing you nothing to costing you a thousand dollars. And they can do that without any action from Congress. And a side note here, uh, if you're on birth control, talk to your doctor about possibly getting on long acting birth control before they make this change. If you think it's right for you. Uh, so that's what they're gonna do. They're gonna take away Obamacare, you know, in little pieces, piece by piece, and make it worse and worse and less and less effective until it is politically easy for them to repeal. And if you think that Trump and the Republicans are going to replace Obamacare with something remotely as useful, well, you're probably watching a lot of fake news. So next, what I'd like to do is talk about some of the weird things Trump has done since being inaugurated. Um, And I'll start off with this from the Washington Post on January 23rd. On Monday, the paperwork was filed with the federal government declaring officially that January 20th, 2017 the day of Trump's inauguration, would officially be known as the National Day of Patriotic Devotion. Now, I don't think it hurts anybody to name your inauguration the Day of Patriotic Devotion, but it's weird, right? Like, it's weird. And frankly, it's a little scary. But it wasn't a day of patriotic devotion, right? If you saw the crowds on the mall it was not a day of devotion in any way. And the next day, I would say the next day was the day of patriarch devotion. The mall, just as an example, was much more crowded. I was there with my family. We were all holding our signs. And it was nuts there. Just getting to the mall was insane. And of course, uh, you know, there were millions of more protesters in cities around the country and all around the world. And that's why it's so strange that Trump sent his press secretary out to read a statement full of lies about the two crowds. Uh, in Sean Spicer's first statement to the press, uh, Vanity Fair looked at it and found seven separate lies. He lied about the number of people who used the metro in D.C. those days. He lied about the photos of the crowd. And he even lied about the Secret Service using metal detectors. Uh, You can get the full list uh, uh, from the Vanity Fair article. There's a link on the website, thetrumpscorecard.org. And, you know, those lies were, you know, not super important uh, compared to what Trump said next. Uh, he, He met with a group of lawmakers and, well, I'll just read what he told them from the New York Times. This is from January 23rd. President Trump used his official meeting... With congressional leaders on Monday to falsely claim that millions of unauthorized immigrants had robbed him of a popular vote majority, a return to his obsession with the election results, even as he seeks support for his legislative agenda. So he goes to talk to members of Congress, and instead of talking about the things he wants them to pass, he complains that there was voter fraud in the election. Now, this is interesting, right? He lost the popular vote by three million votes, right? And he claims that at least 3 million people voted illegally. That's a coincidence, isn't it? You know, Wednesday he tweeted out that he'd be calling for a major investigation into voter fraud. Voter fraud in all caps. And look, obviously this is all driven by his ego. He cannot stand that he lost this election. At least lost the popular vote. He can't stand it, even though he's president of the United States. But it isn't just funny, it's incredibly dangerous. Because they're going to investigate, right? The, the GOP will go along with this and they'll they'll do an election. They'll do an investigation, even though we all know there's no real uh, evidence of voter fraud. They'll drum up something, uh, anything they can to justify more voter suppression laws and, and, and ways to suppress votes. Uh, in fact, the press secretary, uh, Sean Spicer, followed up by saying that the investigation will focus on urban areas that Trump lost. What does that tell you? You know, one of the the stories I think that led Trump to send out his press secretary to lie about the crowd size uh, was the story that the National Park Service had retweeted a tweet uh, showing crowd comparison between Trump's inauguration and Obama's first inauguration in 2009. Uh, And eventually the, the tweets were taken down and the entire Interior Department was told not to put out any social media content. Eventually the National Park Service apologized and it's been tweeting since, But then one of its parks, the Badlands National Park, started tweeting out climate change data. That's not unusual for a a national park to do, right? They they tweet out scientific stuff about the environment all the time. But eventually they were told to delete those tweets. Meanwhile, uh, in another story that I think is very related, according to BuzzFeed on January 24th, The U.S. Department of Agriculture has banned scientists and other employees in its main research division from publicly sharing everything from the summaries of scientific papers to USDA-branded tweets as it starts to adjust to life under the Trump administration. So there was a lot of noise about this story, and eventually they reversed that decision. But clearly, there is an instinct with this White House to shut down communication from scientists and science-related agencies. They did it at the Environmental Protection Agency, too, Associated Press wrote on, on January 24th. The Trump administration has instituted a media blackout at the Environmental Protection Agency and barred staff from awarding any new contracts or grants, part of a broader communications clampdown within the executive branch. And there's more. According to Reuters, the EPA was also told to take down the agency's website on climate change. They're basically sending a message to kids that science is bad. This is going to be, I, I think, honestly, the most anti-science administration ever. Look, President Trump has denied the cli- climate change is a reality. He has said that vaccines cause autism. Up is down for this guy. Everything he believes is wrong, you know, and what he's going to do with that, with those beliefs and with his instincts is to silence scientists. And now more than ever, we need scientists in our government to tell us the truth. And I'm afraid they're just not going to be able to anymore. And that's not all Trump is doing to undermine the people who work for our government. This is from the Washington Post, January 23rd. President Trump instituted an immediate hiring freeze Monday. Signing a presidential memorandum that would affect a large swath of the executive branch but leave wide latitude for exemptions for those working in the military, national security, and public safety. Two things about this. First of all, if federal agencies can't hire workers but they still need to get work done, they'll hire contractors to do those jobs. And they are way more expensive. So in the end, this could cost taxpayers more money. Second, it's like another in a long series of attacks on people who work for the federal government, and also states and counties and city governments too, because those people make an easy target. These are people who have devoted their lives and their careers to serving the public. They serve us, and we treat them like they're the bad guys in a Saturday morning cartoon. We should be thanking them, not trying to eliminate their jobs. All right, let's head over to the Middle East, where Donald Trump is doing horrible things. This is uh, Reuters, January 24th. U.S. President Donald Trump is expected to sign executive orders starting on Wednesday that include a temporary ban on most refugees and a suspension of visas for citizens of Syria and six other Middle Eastern and African countries, say congressional aides and immigration experts briefed on the matter. This is really, really disgusting. What's going on in Syria right now is a horror beyond our imagining. We've already done far too little to help refugees who are trying Desperately to save themselves and save their families. Frankly, this is a black mark on President Obama's term that he didn't do more. And now we're shutting down what little we've done. You know, before uh, the, the election, Donald Trump Jr. got some flack as he put up this silly meme. I forget if he did it on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, but it was a bowl of Skittles. And it said... You know, if one of these Skittles is poisonous, would you eat from the bowl? And the idea is the bowl of Skittles is refugees and the, the poison ones are terrorists. And there was this beautiful response. I'll try to find it and, and put it on the website. This person wrote on Facebook, are, are the Skittles human lives? Because if they are, if by eating a Skittle, I'm saving a human life, yes, I will eat the Skittles. I will eat and eat and eat and save as many lives as I can. And after I get a poison skittle and die I hope someone else will take up the bowl and keep eating them for me because that's what that bowl represents it's human lives and our failure to save human lives because we are afraid that some of those people may be terrorists is shameful you know terrorism is horrific and it's scary and what we have seen terrorists do is awful but the purpose of terrorism is to rob us of our humanity and if we give in and refuse to save lives because we're scared of terrorists, then we've literally let the terrorists win. We've given them exactly what they want. You know, and choosing a bunch of countries and banning visas from them, you know, look, it's, it's racist and it's not who we are as a country, right? Don't you want America to be better than that? And if you think it can't get worse, it gets worse. New York Times, January 25th. The Trump administration is preparing a sweeping executive order that would clear the way for the CIA to reopen overseas black-site prisons, like those where it detained and tortured terrorism suspects before former President Barack Obama shut them down. You know, it's not just the idea of Trump reopening these black-site prisons. It's what he wants to go on inside them. Trump has made it very clear that he will bring back torture. He thinks it works. You know, all evidence shows that torture doesn't work, but that's not so much what matters. What matters is that America should be a better country than that. It's not just that torture is wrong, which it absolutely is, but it helps the terrorists. It helps them make their case. It helps them recruit new members. It's counterproductive. And speaking of the CIA and war, crime, war crimes, this is from New York Magazine on January 22nd. While addressing the CIA on Saturday, President Donald Trump took a break from lambasting the media to remind everyone that he thinks the U.S. should have stolen Iraq's oil. Um, he went on to say that he thinks we might get another chance to steal Iraq's oil, which is a scary thought. But look, you can't go to another country and steal their natural resources to pay yourself back for invading them. That is a war crime. Donald Trump does not seem to care about committing war crimes, and that is honestly terrifying. Okay, let's head back to the home front. I'm going to read a little bit more from this story that I've been reading from others. It's from NBC News on January 22nd. Desperate officials pleaded with President Donald Trump to send federal assistance Monday after at least 20 people were killed by storms and tornadoes that caused devastation authorities likened to the impact of a nuclear blast. Mississippi Governor Phil Bryant said he had dispatched a letter to Trump pleading for help after four people were killed in his state. He said more than 1,000 homes were damaged in Hattiesburg and surrounding Forest County alone, 239 of which were obliterated. In Doherty County, Georgia, where four people were killed, County Commission Chairman Chris Kohila said Monday that he had been, quote, begging FEMA for boots on the ground, unquote, referring to the Federal Emergency Management Agency. I'm asking President Trump to cut through the red tape and get people on the damn ground here, he said. Okay. So since becoming president, Trump has done the following. He's whined to the media about reporting his crowd size. He has silenced scientists who are fighting climate change. He has told refugees from war-torn Syria they can't come to the U.S. Now, I'll admit, that's a pretty busy schedule. You can see why he might not have time to help states that have been devastated by a natural disaster. Or maybe he should be doing that instead. He's making governors beg for help. Bank. A few quick items before we get to our interview on the global gag rule. On Wednesday, Trump put out an executive order saying, It is the policy of the executive branch to secure the southern border of the United States through the immediate construction of a physical wall on the southern border. Yes, he is building the wall. Yes, this is stupid. Yes, this is expensive. No, it will not work. No. Mexico will not pay for it. And his suggestion Thursday, that we pay for it with a 20% tax on Mexican imports, means you will pay for it twice. First with your taxes, and then with a rise in prices on anything you buy that's imported from Mexico. I hope you don't like guacamole. Uh, that order would also step up immigration enforcement in a major way, meaning he'll be tearing families apart. Uh, he also wants to cut all all federal funds to sanctuary cities, which are cities who don't want to use their police forces to round up immigrants. So he wants to cut money for schools, for health care, for public safety, all to punish these cities for not being anti-immigrant enough. And on Tuesday, Trump issued two executive orders to start process of constructing the Keystone XL and Dakota Access Pipelines, which are just another way to make it easier to increase our dependence on fossil fuels at a time when we should be trying to reduce it at every turn. Uh, You can't actually see this on the EPA website anymore, but climate change exists and is real. Uh, And of course, the Dakota Access Pipeline in particular has garnered huge protests because of the disrespect to Native Americans to build a pipeline right next to their sacred lands. All right, time for our interview. This week I spoke with Donna Crane, the Vice President for Policy at NARAL Pro-Choice America, where, full disclosure, I did used to work with her. We talked about the Global Gag Rule, also called the Mexico City Policy, that Trump reinstated when he took office. I'll let Donna explain what it is.
1: So the Global Gag Rule is a policy that Republican presidents since Ronald Reagan have imposed And what it does in simple terms is it tells overseas health clinics, if you want to get U.S. aid dollars, then you have to agree not to use your own separate dollars to provide abortion services or even to counsel or refer your clients for abortion services. So it sort of holds hostage U.S. aid dollars for clinics that would otherwise want to provide full services for the women they're seeing and their local communities around
0: the world, they can't have any connection to abortion services at all. Not even whether they provide it, even if they refer women exactly. to other clinics. Exactly, they get zero USAID
1: Right. So the counseling that we would expect as U.S. health patients, right? We go in to see a doctor. We have a problem. We ask our doctor, "Okay, what are my options?" We just take that for that for granted that the doctor is giving us them all the appropriate medical options. Not that the doctor or the health center is thinking through this question of, oh my gosh, if I counsel Jesse for X type of referral, then all of a sudden, I'm going to lose my USAID funds. The way I think about it is is like this. Jesse, let's say you're going to give me $5. All right. Which is great. Okay, I totally want you $5. And you can tell me, Donna, I don't think Snickers are good. And you know I love Snickers. So you can tell me I'm going to give you five bucks, but with this, these five bucks, you can't spend any of that money on a Snickers bar, okay? Okay. And then I have to decide if I want your five dollars, do I agree to that? What the global gag rule says is that if you give me five dollars,
0: you can never buy Snickers You're again. telling me
1: that with the money I get from my paycheck and with the allowance I get as a kid or with the whatever money that you get from any other source, I can't buy Snickers with anything. Or even
0: tell your friends that Snickers are good and you I can't even buy tell one. my
1: friends I really like Snickers <laughs> and that they should try it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's so
0: satisfying. Um, so, you mentioned earlier uh, that you were telling me before we started recording that, that uh, Trump didn't just reenact it, which pretty much every Republican president does, but that he made it worse. How did he do that?
1: Right. Yeah, this is incredible. So he signed this executive action into law in the morning, and then nobody saw it until the evening. And then when we saw it, what we saw is that he's not only saying these clinics can't get U.S. family planning funds. That's what every previous president had said. He's saying you can't get any U.S. aid of any kind. It's dramatically larger. Wow. So it, it pretend, it's making the hammer like 15 times as big as it used to be, which makes that decision all the more agonizing for every overseas health clinics. The last time this policy was enforced when George Bush was in office, there were clinics that actually closed as a result of this because they could not, they could not in good conscience give their patients substandard care. And so they had to forgo U.S. aid money. Right. And that meant they had to either close hours, close certain clinics, close altogether. It's a, it's a really terrible decision we forced them to make.
0: And to be clear, like, even when that rule is not in effect, no taxpayer money goes to abortion overseas anyway.
1: Yeah. So that's actually a policy we strongly oppose, of course. Of course. I'm sure you probably do, but it's called, it's called the Helms Amendment. And that, that policy has been enforced for more than 40 years. So it's not as if um USA dollars are going to pay for abortion services for women overseas, which, which I, I think wish they, they should. I agree, right? Yeah, of course. But they don't. But well, they don't. And so the other side has come up with this sort of false argument about how, but money is fungible, and if we give a clinic a dollar, how do we know what they're doing with the other dollar? And that idea is preposterous because we give foreign aid to countries for vast, vast, numbers of activities and it's interesting that they're only targeting this to health services right if we really were serious about this then we would say okay no aid to israel okay no aid to all the different countries where we give them military aid or all kinds of non-health aid but what they're really looking to do is they're looking to put the pinch on health centers
0: Right. And this is entirely at the president's discretion, right? Like, every time the the president changes party, this switches, right? Reagan put it in, Clinton took it out, George W. Bush put it back in, Obama took it out, now Trump put it back in. Entirely at the president's discretion, right?
1: Entirely at the president's discretion. So this is one of the things, this is one of the results of electing a terrible president, is that he has... Huge powers just to do these things unilaterally. He came into office, he signs a piece of paper, and then all of a sudden it becomes a force of law.
0: That money disappears. Right. And there's no real way for us to fight it other than action in Congress, which is not going to take action on this anytime soon, likely.
1: Yeah, it it, it is worth saying that the way we beat this um, is by passing a law in Congress that says these types of restrictions are unconscionable, um, and we're not going to stand for it, and they're illegal. Um we would love to do that and there is in fact a bill in Congress to do that. Um, but we don't have the votes. Um
0: to put, it mildly. A,
1: to put it mildly, that is our job, uh, to try to improve that situation. So what or ideally have a totally different <laughs> president would be my first choice.
0: That would be a, a great choice. If only three billion people had voted for somebody who wouldn't have done that. Oh wait, um, they did. No, they did. Um <laughs> <laughs> so what uh what else is on the on the radar this year in terms of like priorities for, for for choice, for for the for the fight for repro rights and repro justice.
1: Yeah, so I mean it's it's a daily it's a daily barrage, uh, and we're only however many days in, but it already right. appears that the periodicity here is going to be a daily attack. Right. Um, I think the next giant one we see coming is uh, Trump said next week he's going to announce his choice for the Supreme Court. On Thursday. On yep. Thursday. Yep. Uh, there is, of course, a vacancy that's been open for just about exactly a year.
0: You um, know, the last president should have nominated yeah. someone to fill that.
1: It's funny. We're I was just thinking that. it's almost just about exactly a year. And it's. I was wondering, like, oh, why is that seat open? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Weird.
0: That There's happened. probably
1: somebody excellent who's qualified out there who could have taken that position. So yeah, so Trump has put out um, a list of 20 people. He says he's going to choose from among these 20 people and they are uh, terrible. Um, they run the gamut from uh, no documented position on reproductive freedom, which seems astonishing for somebody who's vying for a seat on the highest court in the land to terrible positions. So that that's, that's your range.
0: So what's your, what's your, um, your Nightmare choice like Edith Jones or somebody like that. Who's your Who's your nightmare?
1: Uh, I, I have many nightmares. I'm awakened at night uh, at different times with different names in mind. Um, there's too many to name. I think somebody like uh, Bill Pryor,
0: right? Uh, I remember fighting him in the 2000s for on a federal. I, yep, a federal. He
1: was uh, he was not qualified, uh, not suitable when he was appointed to the circuit court, and he is. Triply not qualified and suitable for the Supreme Court. Um, this is a person who said Roe v. Wade was an abominable decision. That you know right. the the day Roe was um, was decided is a day that will live in infamy. It's sort of those kinds of sentiments um, he believes. And you know, this is the person. This is a person who's on Trump's list for someone who would be an excellent Supreme Court justice. So right. go figure.
0: Is there anyone out there who you sort of hope maybe who doesn't have much of a record who might be a, a bright spot, or are you just is the list just? Uniformly awful Uh,
1: I'm I am under I am super close Look I'm a firm believer When people Show you who they are Believe them Right Um, And Trump has said uh, That he's going to use Supreme Court appointments uh, As his opportunity To reverse Roe versus Wade And so we are clear That that's what he's going to do Uh, Whether he does it With someone who's got A record up front Or whether he does it With someone who has been Really careful uh, not to have left a paper trail, I'm certain that's the way he's going to go. Right. And I think the obligation is on the Senate to see to it that the nominee has uh, goes on record on these important civil rights before they cast any votes. And if they don't uh, prove that they are in support of the actual U.S. Constitution, which they're supposed to be uh, upholding, um, then they're not qualified, and the Senate right. has to reject them. Right.
0: It's a big fight ahead. Indeed. Well, thank you very much, Don. I really appreciate you you talking to me today. Such pleasure. It has been a rough week, so let's end on a lighter note. I mentioned Trump's speech to the CIA earlier, and apparently afterward, many employees were disgusted that he gave essentially a campaign speech in front of their wall of honor, the wall with all the stars that honor uh, employees of the agency who died in the line of service. But Trump said he got a great reception. Uh, this is from an interview he gave to ABC News, and I'll do my uh, best Trump imitation here. "'I then spoke to the crowd. I got a standing ovation. In fact, they said it was the biggest standing ovation since Peyton Manning had won the Super Bowl. And they said it was equal. I got a standing ovation. It lasted for a long period of time,' he went on. "'They gave me a standing ovation.' For a long period of time, they never even sat down, most of them, during the speech. So Trump thinks he got a standing ovation. He said that three times in one interview. But as the Huffington Post reports, the reason the employees were standing the whole time was that he never told them to sit down. When the President of the United States walks into a room, federal employees, especially members of the military or national security agents, they stand up until he tells them to sit down, which Trump apparently didn't know. So he thought he was getting a standing ovation. And that is it for this week. I want to thank Donna Crane of NARAL again for sitting down with me. Uh, Remember, you can find links to all the stories I've talked about today on our website. It's thetrumpscorecard.org. And look, this is my first podcast ever, so I am very, very open to suggestions, whether it's format, whether it's stories you want me to cover— whether it's technical advice, the sound I know is not perfect. I'm working on it. Uh, I'm doing this all by myself, so I'm doing my best, and I am not a sound engineer. Uh, you can email me at thetrumpscorecard at gmail.com if you have any ideas. You can always reach me on Twitter at Bernie. That's J-E-S-S-E-B-E-R-N-E-Y. And uh, hopefully I will have a subscription link up on the website soon. The Trump Scorecard is hosted, produced, and edited by me, Jesse Burney. Our music is from bensound.com. Thank you for listening, and I will see you next week.